0: This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hey everyone. This episode's a quick one. Actually, it's about 30 minutes long other than whatever I do right now, which could add time to it, of course. And I don't know if people know, but I do have the podcast on YouTube and the very front, this part is recorded with video. So if you ever want to see my facial expressions, you can do that. Um, this episode's really fun. I. I've said many, many times that service is a really important part of my life. And it's something I want to do more of. And it's why I'm in a grad certificate program right now. And so this guest actually worked in government, worked in the Obama administration for a little while as an intern and on a fellowship, which is just so cool. And I found out uh, during the podcast that he had this initiative around tech, which I didn't know about, which just, I don't know. It's, it's amazing. And so I am just really excited about that and was really excited to um, learn more about what had been going on during that time, you know, during the administration. And I'm looking up actually the name right now. Beth Novak is someone that was part of that. And then she founded um, another organization, the GovLab. And so she's not who I'm interviewing, but she comes up in this. And I got really excited learning about her. So... My guest founded a basically tech company that also has a social purpose. I'm very intrigued by companies that do align themselves with a social purpose. And I've talked to some people this season already and will continue to who are doing that. This is the start of Earth Month. Earth Month is April. So one reason I put this episode on this week is to kick Earth Month off because this company is doing things that will benefit the environment. I'm trying really hard not to say everything about my guests and what they do and their name and everything before we get into the episode. So I'm being a little bit vague here, but the reason this episode is now is because of Earth Month. And I'll have a couple more guests that have eco-friendly kind of ideas or themes with them as well throughout this month. And uh, thanks everyone who listened to the Women's History Month episodes. That was really fun to be able to do some themes around things. If you have guest ideas, of course, let me know. And I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love to hear what people think. I don't ever hear back, really, except for a few friends. But if anyone who doesn't know me wants to reach out, that'd be, that'd be amazing. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, this week, I mean, there's another thing to be mad about this week. Louis C.K. winning the Grammy. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think, I can't talk too much about it on here just because my podcast doesn't really get into vulgarity and really everything about him is just incredibly vulgar at this point. He's someone I was a really big fan of, and I still love some of his bits, and I still love some of his comedy. But I know that he talks in the special he won for, as far as I understand, he talks about the assaults he did. And I know some people don't think what he did was assault, but I don't put yourself in that situation. You wouldn't feel super great. You would feel pretty much like you'd been insulted. Um, Well, it sounded like he said insulted. It would be assaulted or insulted. But anyway, I just think that, You know, as a woman who has been in situations that are very scary before, and as a female comic who's also been in situations, they don't happen to us on the stage. They don't happen to us in view of everyone. They happen in messages. They happen in Zoom chats. A few of us doing Zoom comedy had... People say really interesting and wild things to us that were pretty scary in Zoom chats. They happen on Twitter and DMs. And they happen on Walks Home. And so I just... I don't know. I just don't understand how everyone was so loud about Chris Rock and now they're so quiet about Lucy K. And it just shows me that still there's a lot of work to be done. That work won't be done on this episode of the podcast, but I just had to say something because I don't have many platforms by which to to speak. And so I hope people don't mind this. And I hope if you do, you skipped it, but listen to my guest. Welcome to Earth Month. Have a great week. Everyone stay safe and stay healthy. And here we go. So you guys, this week, my guest is Monik Suri. He's the founder and CEO of Therma. And we're going to learn what Therma is and also how we got there. So thanks for being a guest.
1: It's great to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: And where am I talking to you from right now?
1: Yeah, I'm calling in from uh, sunny San Francisco, which is home for me and for our company.
0: Nice, nice. And it's so it's sunny there today.
1: It is. We joke, it's LA weather today. It's one of those nice. uh, rare sunny days, but we're, we're loving it uh, after, you know, a lot of fog and uh, we'll take every sunny day we can get. Yeah,
0: I'm sure. I'm in London, I've mentioned to you, and we had two days of sun this weekend, and so I totally get it.
1: <laughs> Spent a little bit of time in London. I did a master's in Cambridge, and I remember well that many things... That I loved about it one of the best years ever but but the joke is always about the weather.
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah and Cambridge is I think even rainier than here so yep. yeah so let's actually we can start there too let's just talk about what you studied and where you went to school and kind of how you started out because you didn't start out in kind of the area that you're in now.
1: Absolutely you know life is a kind of uh, twisting and turning path the journey takes you in lots of directions that are hard to anticipate in college and, and grad school I was uh, studying political science and international relations. So I went to Harvard for undergrad uh, and did a master's at Cambridge. I studied uh, government and political science in undergrad and then international relations on um, in my master's program and ended up going to law school thinking I was going to go into government and policy. That was, you know, that was the original plan and ended up now a kind of recovering attorney, working in tech, building <laughs> climate solutions.
0: Yeah. And did you do any? training in tech itself like as far as formal education or that was all more the poli-sci kind of stuff
1: yeah i had never trained in engineering or engineering sciences i i studied political theory and finance is how i kind of started my career so i went from a school to a big investment firm called de shaw where i kind of mm-hmm. learned finance on the job and investing and then went back to law school, did a brief stint in government doing an uh, internship and then fellowship as a junior person on uh, the economic policy team in the first Obama administration. And then ended up in tech. I, I met someone who was a former lawyer herself and the deputy CTO of the US. And she had gone to Harvard 10 years before me, was working at the intersection of tech, law and government, and convinced me that there were opportunities to build tech for good. And that's how I ended up moving into uh, to tech.
0: That's awesome. And I I like how you were able to identify what you kind of didn't want to do, I guess, and just kind of find something that you did. So when you go from the investment firm and then did you go into government after that, just thinking that that's kind of where you wanted to be ultimately like when you're working for the Obama administration or did you just kind of fall into that? Like how does someone go into that kind of job?
1: Yeah. Well, so I I decided uh, to go to law school after deferring for many years. I'd applied to law school while I was in college and I deferred year after year because I'd gotten this, mm-hmm. this gig at D.E. Shaw, and I was enjoying myself and learning a lot. But I decided to go back to law school because I really wanted to get closer to policy and, and politics. And I applied for an internship while in law school on the economic policy team at the first Obama administration's NEC. And that's how I ended up getting okay. the, the opportunity, was through an internship, and then they extended it to a term time fellowship. I got to work doing regulatory and economic policy, and I almost went back to, uh, to a full-time role. I originally thought after law school, I would apply for a policy job, but life had other plans. I met this colleague, Beth Novak, in 2011, and she was writing and talking about themes around civic technology, bringing data science and network tools to, to, to bear on problems that uh, affect all of us beyond what technology was doing which is largely around social life and commercial life. And so she had this thesis that, hey, we can build and deploy these technologies for improving government and law, two of the largest and most important sectors of, of the economy. that are kind of still run like it's 1950. So I got really inspired by her and said, hey, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, why don't I join you, Beth? And we started a center together at NYU, where she teaches called the Governance Lab. And uh, I, I helped her get the center off the ground and then left to start a company in the space. And that's how I became a tech entrepreneur.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah, so that that is really cool because I think even I mean, if you just kind of fast forward to the last year or so and look at the role technology has played in government, just most recently I'd say that I'm aware of in the States is the whole distribution of the COVID home test, the rapid home test, right? And how different that looked, say, than if you look at 10 or so years before, I guess, when people were trying to sign up for Obamacare, right? And the site crashes and everything. And just like the technology difference in how maybe the acumen of the government is now. What have you seen change in the tech slash government space along along those lines, maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to unpack and it's a space I spent a number of years in. So I care a lot about bringing better tools into the public sector and helping folks in the public sector do more with with modern uh, technology stacks. I think one of the challenges has historically been that without the opportunity for massive growth and massive scale, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of venture capital investors won't consider deploying or building Mm -hmm. solutions for the public sector. And without seeing that hockey stick potential, they tend to focus on problems where they can generate that kind of return or believe that that kind of scale is possible. I do think that's changing. I think governments are getting more thoughtful about and more effective at procurement, buying technology and deploying it at scale. I think they're getting better at structuring the process of innovation using a combination of public-private partnerships, offices and teams dedicated to bringing innovators into government to understand the problems and the workflow so they can build better tools. Those innovations and those improvements are making it easier to scale technology in the public sector. And I think that is making it more appealing for an entrepreneur or an investor to think about investing in the space or spending time building for the public sector. Still a very challenging environment because government is not a monolithic entity. There's federal government, state governments, local and municipal mm-hmm. entities. And then of course, you know, the ways in which technology gets built and scaled across those different, you know, types of government agencies, it can be really challenging. But I, I'm very excited whenever I see uh, a gov tech or civic tech uh, company get started. And I, I have a lot of friends in that space. So I think it's, it's definitely moving mm-hmm. in the right direction.
0: That's, that's just really cool. So can you talk a little bit about the governance lab that you guys founded and kind of was there any project that excited you most when you were there or one of the first things you worked on thinking back?
1: Absolutely. I mean, many things about the GovLab were inspiring and exciting. Lots of really interesting problems and ways of thinking about those problems. I think one of the early examples of a project that we got invited to help with was the the UN Development Program, UNDP, was helping the government of and the civil society in Libya rewrite their constitution and figure out ways to improve and make the constitutional drafting and amending process more inclusive. And so we were asked to help the, the UNDP team design a crowd-sourced constitutional amendment drafting platform a way to generate inputs, notice and comment, remarks, feedback on various legislative changes. Super interesting and super compelling problem. One of those multifaceted political theory meets technology meets inclusion and social transformation. This was in the wake of the fall of the Qaddafi government as they were trying to rebuild mm. Libyan civil society and make it more responsive. So that was, a, that was an example of a project I found really intellectually fascinating and, and gratifying.
0: That's great. And yeah, you wouldn't even think about that rewriting a constitution could have a technology element with it.
1: that's where I think a lot of technology can be an enabling force in these, you know, many different areas of workflow that need help or that need to be overhauled. Technology can kind of operate in the background and make things more inclusive, more effective.
0: So now you're at Therma, which is a company you co-founded. How did you decide to go from public sector and service to private sector?
1: Yeah, it was very intentional. I felt this kind of competing impulse between staying in the public sector and working on policy and uh, moving back into the private sector. I think what, what really inspired me to get started as an entrepreneur and to really dive in was the possibility of combining, building a company and scaling solutions and products while also creating positive social value. And I felt after working at the GovLab with Beth and her team, that it would be very hard to scale technology products and technology solutions in the public sector alone or in the nonprofit sector as we were in. Without incentives, without the ability to create a lot of scale and impact, it's very hard to recruit the best talent. It's very hard to get engineers and designers and product leaders to work on these problems. And so we felt that if we could start a company and create the structure that would enable a scaling and and high-growth model but we could make sure that the products and solutions we built and worked on had a pro-social element to them and really had that impact, that that was a way to, to, to build you know, an organization that could scale, could attract the best talent while also doing something good. And so it was very intentional when we left the GovLab to start uh, CoInspect. CoInspect was the precursor to Therma. Uh, and it was it is a product that's focused on compliance and safety improvement. We started CoInspect very intentionally as a for-profit solution to try and improve broken workflow around regulation and compliance, you know, public, public sector and private sector workflows that we thought we could build better technology for. We happened to end up in the food supply chain just because of the timing. Chipotle had a food safety crisis and a bunch of uh, restaurant businesses and food manufacturers were looking for better tools around safety and compliance. And so we started scaling Coinspect in the food supply chain. Between 2016 and 2019, got to about 5,000 locations using the tool, and that's when we discovered this even bigger opportunity around refrigeration, and that's how Therma was born. And happy to go into that, you know, you know, go deeper around that.
0: Yeah. So, do you consider yourself? I've had people on who talk about conscious capitalism, but I've learned that. The definition of that was a little bit different than it sounded. So do you consider yourself in that realm or in a different kind of realm of social responsibility with your company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've never used the phrase conscious capitalism, though I do think we're trying to build a high impact company and a positive social impact company. I've used Mm -hmm. the phrase and thought about the phrase social entrepreneurship a lot more, Rabia. And so I think that we're trying to build a a for-profit business that has a lot of scaling potential, but the goal is that the technology and the products that we build need to and must have a positive social impact. And I think the space we're in, which is sustainability and taking on the climate crisis by trying to improve efficiency in the built environment, Mm -hmm. I think that has the potential to have high social impact if it scales. That's what I love about the space we work in. I think it is one of those areas of the world where you can improve profitability and advance sustainability at the same time.
0: Cool. Yeah. And so let's talk about what Therma does and how it's related to the environmental impact.
1: Absolutely. We're we're very excited about the space we work in, which is refrigeration. We're building a smart refrigeration platform or a clean cooling company, trying to take uh, waste out of the refrigeration supply chain, or the cold chain, as it's called. Now, most people think about refrigeration and they think, well, it's been around forever; it works. Why do I have to worry about it? And it turns out that there's a lot of refrigeration in the world, but it's actually very inefficient and has not just a lot of waste and 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 spoilage and and overconsumption of resources, but also causes a lot of emissions. And that's really what we're trying to to work on, which is using technology, in particular. IoT sensors, data analytics, and a better workflow to reduce food waste, energy waste, and refrigerant leakage, all three of which are big drivers of warming. And we're doing that in ways that try and improve the cold chain to help humans out. Cold chain is important for humans because it provides access to fruits and vegetables and proteins and dairy and more and more fresh and local ingredients but it also allows access to drugs and vaccines and blood and plasma. Mm -hmm. And so we need a lot of refrigeration and it's growing because a lot of the developing world wants more refrigeration, but we have to build that and and scale that in ways that don't cause the kind of emissions that the current cold chain does.
0: Well, yeah. And speaking of the vaccines, I mean, we are still in this COVID-19 pandemic and we learned a lot about vaccines and the fact that like the mRNA ones, I think have to be, at cold cold temperatures and have to be really monitored and regulated and stuff and i've worked in pharmaceuticals before too and there's a lot of different products or drugs that need to be kept at different temperatures that people probably aren't even aware of and so can you talk about maybe a workflow or something that could illustrate how therma is playing a role in in that
1: yeah, absolutely so our our Product in our platform consists of sensors that can be dropped into and placed into refrigeration. And these sensors are wireless and continuously sending signal around the temperature and humidity inside the environment. That allows us to reliably ensure that the products are being kept within safe and high quality zones. And so that's really the core offering, which is a continuous monitoring, alert, and alarm platform that lets you ensure no product gets spoiled or wasted. In addition to the sensors, we have a workflow. App, A mobile application that you can use to create and manage set points to ensure alarms and alerts are set up correctly, the right team members get notified at the right time. And then a dashboard where you can see reporting, ensure that all of your locations and all of your assets are kept safe and track any issues from a compliance standpoint that might occur. And so we, we have deployed this. Across, you know, at this point, I think over a thousand customers. Wow. So we're growing the business, and and have you know close to ten thousand sensors in the world, doing a whole bunch of quality and safety improvement. And we work across the supply chain, primarily in food, but we do have some deployments in healthcare. So we have uh, customers, warehouses, and distribution centers to supermarkets and convenience stores, restaurants, uh, cafeterias, hotels amusement parks, you name it. There's, there's perishable product everywhere. And we, yeah. we often talk about how there are 90 million refrigerators in the business world, not even counting the 1.4 billion in the residential world, just 90 million business refrigerators, almost none of which are monitored today or optimized. So we're working on mm. that 90 million today. That's
0: amazing. And did you guys develop both the hardware and the software? Or how did you guys come to like pulling your products together?
1: Yeah, we we started working on Therma in the fall of 2019. We were watching users using our CoInspect product, the first product we built, and they were checking all these things in their locations around compliance and safety. Many different endpoints had to be checked. And what we noticed when we were watching users closely was that they kept checking temperatures. That was a big part of compliance and safety. And my Mm -hmm. colleague, Andrew Hager, who's now our CTO, looked up at me at one point and Andrew said, you know, I don't know if a mobile app is the best way to solve this. A mobile app still requires people to put the temperatures in manually, even though, you know, it's better than a paper clipboard, it still ultimately requires a lot of manual workflow. And so he and I discussed that problem and said, well, what if we could automate it? What if we used automation instead Mm -hmm. of a, a mobile workflow? And we ended up looking into and discovering that there was a new way to get signal refrigeration reliably using long-range radio, which is much more reliable than the previous technologies, which are Wi-Fi and Bluetooth-based. And that's really how Therma was born. Therma is short for Temperature, Humidity, Energy, Remote Monitoring Application. And so we started using a LoRa long-range radio uh, sensor. We develop the software and the platform that integrates hardware and software, So we started by originally building hardware and software. And now we focus on software and analytics, where we think there's a lot more value Mm -hmm. long term, and we use uh, partners on the hardware side to scale.
0: Cool. That's awesome. And just to figure out the new technology, and also just, I think, well, I mean, depends on who's listening, but there's at least probably one other business process person that's interested in that aspect of things, but really about creating efficiencies where there aren't because a lot of times in a lot of businesses they're just inefficiencies and so it's exciting to hear about your product and just the problem is trying to solve is one that's really going to continue to be one well done on that identifying that kind of problem because that's hard to do um so as far as the humidity because you've mentioned that a couple times does the humidity help indicate when there's leakage in the refrigeration or what's the humidity measure do just out of curiosity
1: yeah, well a lot of products have a humidity a sensitivity to them. So certain products like chocolates and cheeses require humidity mm. monitoring in addition to temperature monitoring to ensure safety and quality doesn't have issues. And so we have a we also use the humidity to sometimes track equipment issues. So it can be valuable from a direct standpoint in terms of the products that are stored and also indirectly to help us with our equipment downtime prevention approach. And we, we also focus on that, trying to make sure that refrigeration acids don't go down and prevent last minute, last mile failures and, and loss.
0: Yeah. Okay. So for you, are you enjoying the entrepreneurship now and, and owning a company and product in this way versus what you were doing where you were really, I think, working for other people on their their needs and ideas.
1: Absolutely. I'm loving it. that's it's it's, uh, it's a blast to be an entrepreneur. It's definitely hard. I've never had a a role that was as emotionally challenging or you know or or kind of volatile, I guess. you know the the kind of fluctuations in the highs and the lows can be really significant. You have days where you think, oh my gosh, I'm on top of the world where everything is working great. And then other days where it feels like uh, everything is breaking. What am I doing with my life <laughs> and everything in between? So it's, it's very much a, a roller coaster, as many people have called startups. But I do love yeah. the freedom to build and to scale in directions that feel like they resonate with my values and my goals. And I love that uh, Therma has brought together a team. We're close to 70 people now. I love that we brought together a team that is very mission driven and very impact oriented. I think that's one of the themes in our team. You'll see people really care about uh, the future of food, Mm -hmm. the future of the planet, about improving health and improving access to high quality product, but also doing it in ways that protect the planet.
0: Awesome. And do you guys have a way that you've, found that you really anchor yourself in that mission or in your values that's worked well. I mean, you're still a really new company. So it's a critical time, but a good time to establish stuff versus if you went into another company and did that. So is there anything that has worked for you that you want to share?
1: I think it's a really uh, hard thing to do, Rabia, especially in a remote first environment. It's hard enough to build culture in a pre-COVID era where people were seeing each other every day and talking regularly. And we've been taking uh, more and more of a kind of intentional, active approach as we've gotten bigger. You know, when you're three people or five people, it's easier to set culture and to maintain alignment because everyone's talking every day continuously. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, now we're in, in, in kind of a slightly new phase, both growing the team, but also working primarily remote. So we've done things recently around quarterly off-site, on-sites, where we bring the team together. We go through a series of workshops. Those workshops cover different topics that are uh, generated by the team. And in the process of doing that, kind of bottoms up workshopping, we've unpacked themes Around recruiting and talent acquisition, around sustainability and walking the walk, and around vision and creating transparency and ensuring everyone understands. Some of those, I think, ideas that have come from workshops have really improved from a leadership standpoint how we maintain alignment, what we do. It's changed our policies, it's changed our approach to sharing information internally, how we hire. Lots of things have been affected by that in a good way. And I think that that creating the space where the team feels they can share feedback and make suggestions has really helped with building the culture. I also think it's just great to get people together in person every Mm -hmm. so often, if you can safely. And uh, there's no substitute for that.
0: I agree. And I I've been remote myself for five years and the company I work for has always been remote, but we would gather once a year. And of course we couldn't do that last two years. And so now it's, it's definitely been felt, you know what I mean? And, and, We're going to get together this year, we think, but you're absolutely right. It's hard to maintain those things and you do have to be intentional. So that's great that you guys kind of, you guys have figured that out. You were first in public policy in the public space, which I know can be hard on people because you're doing such important work. It's hard to separate yourself for it. Now you're doing your company, but a similar situation. Now you're responsible for a lot of these employees and stuff. So how, what do you do outside of that to kind of maintain balance for yourself?
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I definitely feel that tension as an entrepreneur. I think it's really hard when you're building something from the ground up to not feel like there's always more work than there is time. So that feeling of "Oh my gosh, there's so much to do has always been hard, I think you know for me in, in my past work, as working in policy and finance, but also as an entrepreneur, it has a different kind of personal significance. That said, I've been thrilled this past year to start spending a lot more time at home because I have an eight-month-old. So that's been one of the things oh that's been consuming <laughs> more and more of my time on nights and weekends and early mornings. I would say before our daughter Arya was born, my wife and I—we've been together for a long time, for over 20 years. We met in college as freshmen, mm. so we've been really fortunate to kind of grow up together. And so we we always, I think, enjoyed similar activities. Pre-pandemic, we would do a lot of travel. We really enjoyed mm. yeah, meeting up with friends and and uh, kind of visiting them in different parts of the country. More recently, it's been local hikes and walks, and we. We have a, a dog we got in early 2020 that's been keeping us active, Espresso. So I think it's really the small stuff these days, Rabia. It's the it's the morning mat time with the baby or the evening walk in the park. But definitely keeps it sane and a good excuse to turn off from work.
0: Nice. Well, congratulations. I mean, a little Thank late. You. but yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, so like new puppy, then new kid. I guess you could try kitten next if you run another baby around. But... <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we're, we're going to hold off on any more dependent creatures for a little while, but thank you. <laughs> That's a good idea.
0: All right. So do you have any advice or mantra that you like to share or just something that was bestowed upon you that, that you think is just generally good for people to kind of think about in their day to day?
1: My dad always said, and still says to me, you know, always believe in yourself. I admire that simplicity and The kind of the wisdom that that encapsulates it's not easy to do and i've struggled many times with the fear of failure or with the thought that it's not working out and a desire to quit or to to abandon what i'm doing i i really admire that advice and i I look up to my dad a lot so that's one thing that stayed with me kind of just you know truly believe in yourself whatever it is that you think the world needs or that you want to do to show up really have confidence, have conviction, and and that's something I'm trying to do every single day. And uh, I think is a daily, it's a daily mantra for that reason.
0: Nice, well, that's good, and that's nice dad advice too. I mean, that you got it from him. The next set of questions is just called the fun five, and it's just kind of some things I like to, I think, are interesting to know about people. So we'll start with what's the oldest T-shirt you have and still wear?
1: I have a, a T-shirt that I got in. Uh, India when i had gone in 2005 with some friends after college for a, a visit it was in a, a small hill station in the mountains called Dharamsala. and it was a t-shirt with the the hindu god ganesha on it which i really loved it's one of those kind of homespun t-shirts that you know simple but powerful ganesha is the remover of obstacles in in kind of shorthand oh. that's what he's known for and if you're of the hindu faith we look up to him as someone who helps enable and make possible our dreams. And so I, I love that shirt. It's also super comfy and reminds me of a great time in my life. But yeah, that's probably the oldest shirt I still have.
0: Ah, That's really cool. All right. And it felt like it was Groundhog's Day for a while, like in the movie, because we just get up and do the same thing every day. If it really was Groundhog's Day, what song would you have play on your alarm clock every morning?
1: I, I, I found this song, Just Another Manic Monday had come out when I was a kid and it became a joke because uh, people would sometimes pronounce my name Manic, but mm. you know, because it's Monic and that song had come out, it was just, it kind of took over for a while. Uh, but I, I, am a kind of high energy person. I love the start of the week and getting going. So I think I like that. It's a, it's kind of got a peppy, like, let's go, let's go. Yeah. That's another manic Monday. And uh, sometimes I feel like that, you know, living and working from home amidst a pandemic, like, what day of the week is it? You know, hard to remember. Mm-hmm.
0: I know. I've gotten more than one text from friends just saying, like, have a good weekend. And I'm like, okay, but we saw Friday, and they're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, oh man, the disappointment, even through text, you can tell is there. So I know. It's yes. like that. All right. Coffee or tea or neither?
1: Absolutely coffee. I I, I kind of joke that I'm addicted, but having a newborn. Will definitely increase that addiction if you're not already. I love any coffee, love to make it in many different ways. I think we've got a French press and uh, a pour over and a traditional machine in the house. So I'm very nice. much a coffee drinker.
0: Well, and you named your dog espresso. So that just.
1: That should pretty much tell everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Speaks for yeah, itself. That me
0: off. <laughs> cool. All right, so can you think of something that just makes you laugh so hard you cry, or just crack up when you think of it, or something that happened recently that that did that?
1: I was on, um, yeah, I was watching my daughter try out this new, you know, kind of toy slash piece of equipment called the Jolly Jumper, which my wife found. My wife has a habit of finding these like amazing baby products going down various websites and they show up at the house in an Amazon package. And we're like, what is this thing? But this product has been around for apparently like close to a hundred years since like the 1930s. And it's still made the same way. It's a stand and you can put an infant Mm -hmm. in it and strap them in and they can kind of get the feeling of jumping up and down, but they're well protected and they can kind of stand on their tippy toes. And she's uh, turned eight months today and she started using it on Saturday and was just, I have never seen a jollier look on her face. And I was just (laughs) laughing to myself. Like she is literally jumping up and down with a jolly expression. This is like the best named product, probably the best product I've seen for what it does. It's like, no wonder they're around for a hundred years. It was great. I was cracking up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I know which one you're talking about. It's so simple. So simple. It's just, yeah, they just, I mean, actually it'd probably be fun for adults too, really. Um, (laughs) I think
1: so. I think so. If only I were that nimble. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool. And who inspires you right now?
1: It's a really hard, it's hard to name just one person. There's so many people I look up to in the world. I I definitely feel inspired by, I think I said it uh, earlier, but I feel inspired by my dad a lot. There's a quote or a saying, the older I get, the wiser my dad becomes, (laughs) Mm. (laughs) which is kind of like a, you know, there's a certain time when lessons and insights make more and more sense. And I think he used to say a lot of mm-hmm. stuff to me when I was a kid that I would just roll my eyes at. And as I've become yeah. a dad myself, and this is our first uh, baby, and as I kind of think about many of his encouragements and advice, I, I reflect on how grounded and how thoughtful and how you know caring he was and has been. So yeah, I'd say he's someone who inspires me every day. Tries to you know it makes me want to be a better dad. Awesome,
0: yeah. So that's that's great. All right. Well, Monik, thanks so much. Uh, I really appreciate you doing this. So if people want to find you or learn more about Therma, where should they go?
1: Absolutely. We'd love to connect. If you're interested in learning more about the company, getting involved or uh, exploring partnerships, our website is hellotherma.com. That's hellotherma.com. Or you can reach out to me directly. It's Monik, M-A-N-I-K at hellotherma.com. And uh, we're also on social on LinkedIn and Twitter at Hello Therma. Would love to hear from you. We have a dozen open roles, they're largely remote and we're also raising capital and building partnerships. So please reach out.
0: Amazing, well, and that'll all be in the show notes and I really appreciate your time and it's been great to talk to you.
1: Pleasure, this was fun.
0: Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at, at More than work Pod or at, Robbie at Comedy on TikTok. And the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.